I've been turned down or not looked as highly because of my gender. It's not going away anytime soon. Four doesn't equal better. If you get a heap of likes, that, that's dopamine for the brain. For no money, we have to work long hours and we just have to, absolutely every part of our being has to be a strength and conditioning coach. And it just doesn't make us better coaches. 38% at the moment believe that debating other strength and conditioning coaches on social media is okay. <laughs> And that's Nikolai Morris with a preview of what she's going to talk about on her upcoming episode. I had wanted to have somebody like Nikolai on for a long time because, frankly, the last eight conferences I've been to, either as a presenter or as an attendee, in some way, shape, or form have had a speaker or a panel that have really talked about all the negative things social media has done to the performance community. And I think that you know we have to take a step back here and realize that we walk a very fine line when we complain about things like this out in the community, no matter what profession you're in. You know, I've in, and we've heard a lot of arguments. Not too long ago, a friend passed an article to me and he said, hey, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And this article was a 12 to 13 paragraph just uh, diatribe about all the negative things that social media has done. And of course, you know, the authors were anonymous, which, you know, is interesting to me because I think it's important that we know that, you know, if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to do some things sometimes that you're not always going to want to do, right? It doesn't matter what you like as a leader. It matters what you can adapt to. I'll say that again. If you want to be a leader, it doesn't always matter what you like. It matters what you adapt to. And when we have coaches or leaders in general that choose to put a flag in the ground or take a hard stance on a subject and then do it under the guise of anonymity, really what that's saying is that one of two things. One, they don't believe in it enough to really stand behind it fully, right? Like even though they want to put this image out there that they have a really strong opinion on a matter, it's maybe not strong enough that they really want to stand by it because they're fearful that they may get called on it in the future. Or what you tend to see is that it's also just fear of criticism in general. And one thing I've noticed in strength and conditioning or just performance is a lot of times we have people whose fear masquerades as virtue. You know, they'll say, well, this isn't about the message. Uh, or it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. Or, you know, because I'm in it for my athletes and it's not about me, I'm going to remain anonymous. And I just really think that that is a, a super interesting stance uh, for the reasons that we talked about. Because if you believe in something, you need to stand by it. You know, we'd ask our athletes to do the same thing. You take a stand for what you believe in. Uh, but why I say that, that this is fear masquerading as virtue is just because it's a really easy scapegoat, right? It's really easy to say, hey, I feel strongly about this. As a matter of fact, so strongly, I'm going to put this all out into the world and I'm just going to try to knock down all these other buildings and I'm going to talk about these things, but I don't ever want to be called on it. Um, and so it's pretty easy to just say this. It's almost like when somebody doesn't want to go to a party and they can say, oh, the kids are sick. Uh, in essence, I do think it is a bit of a cop out or a lie for people to put stuff out there. If you feel strongly enough about something, be willing to go down with the ship, right? Take a stand, take a stand with it and uh, really make sure that people know where you stand. And it's okay to be wrong if you decide you're wrong. But you know, just one thing, if, if you're listening to this and you're somebody that fits into that camp and I'm glad you're listening and you at least have an open mind, uh, you know, consider this, right? I'd gotten a, a discussion with a coach and and they had said, well, listen, you know, I, I choose not to partake in social media. I choose not to have my own image and, and what have you out there uh, because that takes away from the purity of coaching. And I said, well, you know, talk to me about that. They're like, well, if I'm, if I'm worried about my own position, my own brand, then I'm not focusing on the task at hand. And I said, well, that's fascinating, you know, because there's musicians that 
are absolutely focused to music, but they still are aware that, you know, they may have to do an interview. There are head sport coaches that are absolutely focused on their sport, uh, but they may have to do some press or they may get asked to speak at a business conference. You know, there's all these different dichotomies that really insinuate that, you know, if you're disrupting the purity of something because you're putting yourself out there, you know, I actually think that's a lack of an ability to communicate in a broader scope, you know, because here's the reality. It's your responsibility, your responsibility as a coach to not just directly influence and mentor the people around you, but to positively seek, well, to seek to positively impact the coaching landscape as a whole. You have a bigger duty to the field, not just the people around you. And so when I hear people say, well, I'm not going to do this. It's not about me. You know, I've already talked about how I think that's fearful, but it's almost like seeing somebody that you saw somebody drowned right? Or uh, you, you saw something happen in the water. And so you say, well, you know what, we're just going to decide uh, my family and all of us, we're, we're never going to go near the water again. Like how silly is that? You know, and I look at social media the same way, you know, if somebody doesn't want to go in the water, well, that's fine. They can certainly make that choice to stay inland, but then should they criticize people that live by the water? No, like they just made the choice that, okay, well, we'll learn, we're going to learn how to swim or we're going to learn how to surf because we realize that, you know, in our lifetime, the water is not going anywhere. And that's the thesis here is, you know, social media in our lifetime very likely isn't going anywhere. And so you can sit there and you can complain about it. And you talk about all the negative things it does. And you can sit there and go behind a, an anonymous Twitter or Instagram handle or whatever platform. But at the end of the day, if you're not putting out positive messages or ways to cope with this or ways to deal with it or helpful strategies, then you really shouldn't be criticizing others. And I do think our community, and, the, and again, it, it, it goes outside the bounds of strength and conditioning can be anything. I think that if somebody claims to be a leader and yet they want to condemn some kind of medium or they want to condemn something that just is a reality, it's something that people are going to have to deal with, they can do so, but then you need to be solutions focused and have an alternative. Because this society that we live in now where people can claim to be leaders and then just hide under an anonymity or they can complain without providing solutions is getting a little hypocritical. So I'm really thankful for people like Nikolai uh, for coming on here, sharing her insight, sharing strategies, and really being one of the first that I've ever been around in the performance community to say, hey, I'm not going to vilify this method. I'm actually going to take a look at how different people utilize it, strategize, and put together something really helpful that the entire community can benefit from. So I appreciate you guys listening. I'm going to shut up now. We're going to get to Nikolai. Enjoy the episode. World-class athletes, great coaches. What do they do when they're at their best? We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. Leave no doubt tonight. Leave no doubt tonight. No doubt. We're going to get him on the run, boys. Once we get him on the run, we're going to keep him on the run. And then we're going to go, 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 go. And we're not going to stop until we get across that goal line. Now you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. All right, I'm here with Nikolai Morris. Nick, thanks for taking the time to do this. No problems at all. Nick, we try to go right into this to make sure that everybody can spend the majority of the time here in Utah because 
your background and everything is a little bit more interesting than I think most, although you'll humbly kind of deny that. Um, I also want to dive into your interest specifically on the social media end because I think it's a very relevant topic, contentious topic. And I think uh, from, from what it sounds like to me and what it looks like having uh, looked at your survey and everything like that, you're going to be doing some pretty unique stuff. So would you mind giving us a little bit of background in terms of, you know, not, not just what you're doing, but kind of how you got on that path, obstacles you overcame, anything that the audience might be able to relate to? Yeah, no problems. Um, I started in strength and conditioning, or I started as an athlete, um, and that's how I got interested in strength and conditioning. Um, I was a swimmer and I was injured a lot, so I used to watch a lot of the other athletes and watch them move, and that's really when I fell in love with movement and looking at how to improve performance and technique and everything surrounding that area. And pretty much from there, as soon as I finished school, I um, approached the private facility of strength and conditioning that I had trained at um, when I was a junior and basically worked there all through uni as an intern and then as a coach and um, yeah then I had to do a, a practical as part of my uni degree and we used to have to do a semester working in um, well we were lucky enough back then to choose where we wanted to work as long as they accepted us and as a young strength and conditioning coach we went uh, basically the thought was you had to work in professional. And if you didn't go on professional in this prac, you weren't going to get an opportunity to get a job out of that internship and then continue on that road. And really that's, that's all I knew. You pretty much had to do that. Otherwise you weren't going to be successful. So I went down that road, uh, route, sorry, and um, worked at a professional AFL club. And while it was an amazing experience, I think it was one of the best learning curves because I came out of that, um, and there was no job opportunities after it and basically went, I've worked for four years as a strength and conditioning coach and was almost unhirable. Um, there was no jobs going, there was no opportunities and I pretty much from there had to make my own path and I then approached some schools and clubs and, and went on that way and yeah, the main thing being a female SNC coach is you're not really part of a network. Um, you weren't, you didn't grow up having strength and conditioning in your school or with your club. So I didn't really know where to go or who to turn to at that point. And I just kind of went with whatever I could get my hands on. If I couldn't get a strength and conditioning job, I'd coach swimming, I'd coach athletics, touch football. I went and did my, what's called an Australia sports trainer, which I think is similar but less educated than the American athletic trainer so we'd strap and we'd massage and I do anything possible to be involved in that kind of industry and make myself potentially more employable um, and yeah from there I kept working kept working in clubs and um, a job uh, position came up in a different state and um, in Australia, we tend not to be as open to moving states as it seems to be in the US. Uh, in the US, you guys seem to just be happy to to go across country, and that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, we we tend not to be as open-minded with that. And this job was in another state, and um, I thought I, I couldn't get a job. I was so close to so many full-time roles. I'd been turned down a couple of times without them completely stating it, but I'd been turned down 
being female, um, it's not the easiest thing to be a female trying to work back then. I was working in schools, so wasn't many schools weren't open uh well all boys schools weren't necessarily open to a female head strength and conditioning coach so and talk to me about that for a minute not to interject but no totally because you know we've had a we've had a good bit of other you know female strength coaches or just strength coaches that happen to be female rather on the show and and it's something that we mentioned a good bit but I, I think people tend to be a little bit scared to dive into, you know, one, <laughs> I, I think that sometimes there's folks that they don't want to be known as a female strength coach. And I get that, you know, you're a strength coach. It happens to be female. There's a different, there's a difference there, but it's also a glaring, there's also a glaring gap there. And so if it's yeah. not addressed head on at some point or, or owned and, and really gone after, do you really think that's going to get better? Or do you think we should, you know, it's a situation where how do you know how do you feel about it? Is it something you want to own and you want to address and you want to be able to fix for for future coaches or at least be involved with? Not that any one person's going to fix it, but <laughs> how are you attacking that or what creative ways did you find to attack that? Yeah, so I kind of come from from two sides with trying to avoid being uh, on the fence, but I generally. I, I've had situations in my past where I've been to even recently where I've been turned down or not looked as highly because of my gender, which I mean, I don't want that to happen to any female strength coach ever. So I want to be part of the solution, but on the same, on the flip side, just dwelling on the fact that we're not getting jobs isn't really helping us. So yeah. there's, um, Myself and two of my, co- oh, two of my friends, um, Kelly and Donna, we formed a group called Women in Sport. Um, it was originally Women in Strength, but we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves. We wanted to promote Smart move. all women. Yeah, <laughs> we wanted to promote all women in strength. And um, something that we really want to focus on is highlighting and pursuing the advantages of being a female rather than necessarily going, oh, we're not getting jobs, where was me? Um, so trying to work out where we have the advantage over guys, um, as well as our group is really trying to promote connections and, um, mentorship with other females. So having that group and that network that we don't naturally have trying to build that up. So more females in the industry stay in the industry and are excited and have female role models as well as male role models. But we're also trying to do it without uh, alienating guys. We want guys supporting us. Um, one of my mentors had a great statement, which was, we're all good. We're sitting there banging down the door. And that's awesome. We're trying to fight for, for us in the industry. But said, unless you've got someone on the other side opening the door, it makes it a lot harder. So we need our male champions to help us get those opportunities and show that we are actually just as good as any guy. So that's kind of where we're going. Um, We're basically a point of contact for any coaches who want mentorship and help. And we're also starting, hopefully this year, we're running workshops to focus on the aspects of working in sport that aren't typically addressed. So things like pricing your worth and negotiating contracts. So we're trying to separate a little bit. And where did you even start with that? I mean, if there's somebody listening and they, because the majority of questions I get for people that feel stuck or, you know, I've sent out resumes, I've done this. And, you know, my response is usually, hey, a resume 
isn't going to really do anything for you at this point, right? Like not very few people ever can see all those resumes, nor do they look at them all. A resume is not going to end. So they, well, what else should I do? You know? And so if somebody's in that position, walk us through how you even started that coalition, so to speak. Um, yeah. So we we were basically trying to think of ways to help other girls and people starting out. And one of the things that we initially realized was most guys have an inbuilt network as they come through, whether it be from playing sport themselves or people who have coached them in the past. I kind of come through with these role models and these guys who guide them along, which is so good. But most females, at least in Australia, I think in the last five years, there's only just started to be female strength and conditioning coaches in girls' schools. It's really not been for a very long time. So they haven't really had much of a um, uh, person to look up to. So we started basically as a group to mentor and help create a network. So at things like conferences, they had someone to go to. And even um, at the Australian Strength and Conditioning Conference um, at the end of last year, I had a girl that I knew was part of our network, um, but I hadn't actually met and she came up and spoke to me, I spent a lot of the time over the weekend with her, supporting her and getting her used to going and talking to other people because it was her first conference. And when you, when you approach her in that, from that standpoint, and when you try to formalize this even further, right? And just say, cause I think one thing, it's, it's one thing to get people to present an idea to them. It's one thing to say, hey, this, we all struggle with this. We all have this issue. This is something I want to get, you know, start doing. But then getting people to get their hands dirty or actually do the wet work, I found is a whole nother thing. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you can get people really pumped up about an idea. And this is why, you know, I, I typically don't fall under the motivation train. I just think motivation is so temporary. But how did you get people to actually be accountable to helping you do this? How did you persuade and influence and, and get them to actually say, okay, like I'm going to own a part of this. Cause that's a big thing on my end is I think that there's a lot of people and I take heat for this. People make comments about it, but I think a lot of people are stuck for reasons because they don't want to do the wet work. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to kind of get their hands dirty. They want, it's kind of like information, right? Which is something we're going to talk about a little later, but people accept facts, which come to them through existing channels or channels that they're comfortable with. If, yeah. if there's a new thing, like they still want to hear that in a custom way. So like you, when, when it's people gather around an idea, what, what kind of uh, strategy did you use to say, all right, well, I need you to own this now and let's spread this and let's get the word out. So I was lucky because I had both Donna and Kel to help me. It wasn't just a singular approach. So using all three of us and our male champions, we were able to get the word out to start with, which helped. So we started with having um, meetings. So basically invited any female strength and conditioning coach to come along, meet some new people, maybe form some connections. So it's still small. We've only been doing this for one year and we've got big ambitions, but it's, it's one step at a time. Um, but yeah, we decided to do that. We created groups on um, Facebook and Instagram so people can come and connect us uh, to us. Um, we try and make sure at any conference or seminar that we come and talk to the females in the room and go chat to them and 
and find their story and see what they want, if they want more information, if they want more support, if they want some inf just advice and basically going from there and teaching the young coaches coming through to help and support the other strength and conditioning coaches because we've all been a young coach once, not knowing what to do, looking for advice. So it was our way to give back, basically. Do you think it's something that just affects young strength coaches as well? No. I think well, all of us, we all have times where we're having mental crises or just need a bit of advice. And a lot of people use their mentors, but not everyone has a mentor. Like I know you've, you've stated quite a few times through your journey, you haven't had a mentor when you were going through. So I think just having someone to talk to, even if it's not necessarily a formalized mentor, something to listen and acknowledge what you're going through and try and help. Yeah, no, for sure. And what you're talking about here is a little bit of a creation of a third space in the field, right? Where we've had the traditional, and you mentioned it earlier, the pro and, and the uni spaces. And then, you know, there's of course private sector that, you know, that's more prevalent in certain parts of the world as opposed to others. But then there's this kind of third space where people are going out and kind of starting things on their own, whether it's, you know, the groups that you're doing, you know, it's, it's what I'm trying to do with art of coaching and everything like that. Uh, it's something that's a little bit more prevalent now. And you mentioned social media as a medium for you to be able to, to truly connect and, and get people out there. And it's, it's one of those phrases now that I feel like the minute you mention social media, there's some people that are tuning out, right? They're like, ah, I'm not going to hear this. Like, I don't need to hear about Facebook. I don't need to hear about this. But talk to me about how you've, you know, for, for anybody like that, what would you urge them to reconsider before they tune out and just say, oh, I'm flipping off. I don't want to hear anything about, about social media. What would you urge them to reconsider about how you found it to be useful and specific strategies you've employed to leverage it to help other people? Yeah. So on the one hand, you're not going to completely change anyone who's dead set against it. But if we look at how social media has grown over the last even five, 10 years and how it's now being used, it's not going away anytime soon um, as much as some people would like to. I think there's a few people, not everyone obviously, but there's a few people who just don't want to learn another skill. It's too hard. They like, oh, I don't need it. There's no benefit to it, which is fine. But there are huge benefits of connecting and sharing, I think, in particular. Yes, there's the drawbacks. It, it really is a bit of a um, flip side of the coin. It, for every positive, you're going to have some form of negative. So, yes, it's great sharing, but then people are sharing when they shouldn't. And everyone gets a voice, but should everyone have a voice? But at the end of the day, at least it's giving an opportunity for you to connect. Like back in the day, it was so much harder to connect with anyone overseas. That, that's such a challenge. But now we can hear anytime we want, we can go onto something like your Instagram and listen to someone who is extremely well-versed in the field, has great information to share. And you can listen to someone else give advice and go through what they've learned. So there aren't negatives and positives, but I think we focus a little bit too much. Yeah, you focus yeah. a little bit too much on the negatives. Whereas if we look at all the positive it can bring and not only connecting with other coaches and growing your brand and sharing knowledge, all that stuff is great, but 
a lot of older coaches and coaches who um, don't believe in social media forget is it can be a really effective way to connect with athletes, especially the ones who are coming through and have always had social media. So coaching in a university, I coach anywhere from 16 to mid thirties is probably the general age group, but most of them are around early twenties. Pretty much had social media most of their life. They live on it. That's just what they've always known. So if we can find a better way to connect with them and get them on board, that also can be a way of connecting rather than just talking to them. Like I know athletes love it if I share some information. So one of my athletes loves infographics, loves the Yamamur stuff. And I'll tag her in something if I see it that's relevant to her and she loves it because she learns and she gets educated from it and she learns more about how to recover or what she should be doing around sleep without just listening to a coach, that same voice over and over. Yeah. And there's a, you made a good point there. There's, you know, people, some people just don't want to learn a new skill. And, you know, it's funny, our mental habits create stereotypes about things just as physical habits create almost these reflexive actions. Right. And yeah, it's part of what I've learned. And this is from somebody that I, I had no interest in social media when I, when I first started as a strength coach and it took another athlete to talk me into it. Um, but it's, you look at people and they think, well, you know, this is a distraction. This is this. Well, you know, before these things, there were people were doing, having conferences. There were always ways that people were sharing their thoughts and opinions before yeah. social media it was forums before forums, you know, people could still get one-off articles. Part of it also is, I, in my opinion, there are some people that were in power that kind of held court, right? Like it was only their voice that was heard. And now those gatekeepers are kind of irrelevant, you know? And you're even seeing that start to kind of take a, take a jab at academia as well. You have these people that are putting out, in some cases, tremendous research, but 1% of the population's reading it, you know, yeah. very small. And then they get really mad when they say, oh, everybody's looking at social media. Well, hey, figure something out. You know, the yeah. reality is, is this is how a lot of the world gets its information now. Um, yeah. I think I've said in another podcast, I don't go to the ocean and complain that there are waves. You learn how to surf, you know, or you learn how to swim, one or the other. Now, you mentioned athletes growing up with social media and you're spot on, especially with the demographic you have. Why do you think it is, though, aside from just the generational thing and them being born with it, why do you think athletes in particular are so drawn to social media? I think it's a couple of things. Firstly, they want to be educated and want to learn. They, they go on a lot of times to find out new information. Um, sometimes it's in the negative side where they're looking at their competition and finding out what they do, which isn't always great. Um, but they also want to connect with everyone, just, just like the rest of us. It's not too different to um, the general population and why they're on social media. Um, but they also want to share and want to get that validation. If they're sharing constantly what they're doing, the way for them to show that I didn't just get there by talent, I worked hard as well. Um, and they like connecting with their supporters and, and their network as well. Um, but yeah, then, then there's the, the other side of if you get a heap of likes, that, that's dopamine to the brain. So I think we're all a little bit addicted to that side as well. I wanted to pause for a moment to recognize a sponsor who 
is really critical to everything we're trying to do at The Art of Coaching. Now, many of you that have followed for a long time know that I've never came out and endorsed anybody straightforward or like a product or anything like that. I've always tried to keep thing, things very organic. And the only reason this made sense is because this was as organic as it gets. Uh, in an earlier episode, I mentioned how I am really proud to partner with Momentus. Momentus is a company that is so much more than uh, you know, most people would look at it and think, oh, is this a supplement company? Is this and that? It really is something that is all about performance, lifestyle, and most importantly, with what we believe in at Art of Coaching, people. And what makes it super unique is the fact that not only are they NSF approved or certified, but also informed choice. Uh, they work with a number of NFL, NBA, NHL, and NCAA teams. You can just go to livemomentous.com and you can see all the individuals that, that back them because it's just truly unique. Uh, one thing for me is that I have always, always been terrified of turning on the news someday and seeing an athlete that I work with or have represented in some capacity get tested and, and uh, dinged for some kind of banned substance. And so I think it's critically important for any strength and conditioning coach or anybody that works with athletes in general to make sure that you always know what's in your product. And Momentus does that. They go through the most rigorous standards. They make sure that everything is above board. And most importantly, you can actually get them on the phone if you guys or your organization has questions. So um, again, if you follow me, you know that I am not somebody that traditionally has pushed anything in the past. This is the first company that I have truly 100% sponsored with. I am also not a quote unquote supplement guy. Momentous sticks to the grassroots of what we do and what performance nutrition is really about. And we're proud to have them as a partner. So if you want to learn more, you can go to livemomentous.com. You can actually always check the show notes as well. I have a direct link. And if you use code Brett, that's B-R-E-T-T, Twenty at checkout, you're going to get twenty dollars off your first order of any Momentous product. So thank you guys very much. Make sure to check out Momentous. Now back to the show. Yeah, without question. I mean, anybody that you know, we we talked about this a good bit in in one of my courses. Just the tie-in between the limbic system and the neocortex, and we, we can read all we want about decision making and rationality and how we should you know leverage system one and system two appropriately. But the reality is is the, the neocortex is always going to be a little bit of a slave to, to the limbic system. You know, like whenever we can get that reward center of the brain uh, over the long term, that that's going to win out the majority of the time, especially when it comes to, you know, really strong emotions, fears, anxieties, anything like that. Now, one thing that I think is different about you and, and one of the primary reasons I wanted to have you on here, aside from the fact that you just have a really interesting and refreshing way of attacking problems is you're not just sharing your opinion about social media, like you're actually researching this. Am I correct? Like you're diving yeah. deep into the true effects of it. Can you talk a little bit about the research? Yeah, so a little while ago, I was thinking I wanted to try and present at a conference. Um, it's not something I'm great at. Research is also not something I, I have a real strength in. But I was trying to think of something that hadn't been done. It wasn't just a topic that everyone had heard of because there's always going to be someone far, far more knowledgeable doing PhDs and things on those topics. Um, I was trying to think a little bit outside of the box and I did a little bit of research and I couldn't see anyone having looked into social media before. And I know so many coaches use it and so many coaches also hate it. And I thought it'd be a cool way to share the good and the bads and the uglies 
uh, and the benefits of how we're using it and what we could do. So I basically sat down with one of my interns, Adriano, and, and he loves the research side. So I was chatting to him and talking about thinking whether or not we could do a study on it. And within 20 minutes, we had planned majority of the questions we wanted to ask. And from there, we ran with it. Um, we've now put out a survey to see the behavior and the influences on social media, uh, sorry, on strength and conditioning from social media. And we want to basically take that from finding out what the coaches, how they influence, what they know, what they like, how they use it, and then go and have a look at the athletes and see how they want to use it, how we can connect with them better and basically expand from there and see if we're able to manipulate that knowledge and work better with our athletes. I like the word choice there too. People get really tied up in a bunch about the word manipulate, you know, when if they really <laughs> just looked at the definition of it, it means to wield a tool skillfully, right? It's yeah. just kind of like intensity. It can have a double meaning depending on some people. Oh, well, it was an intense workout or the, no, it's, it has to do with the load, but you're spot on. Like we need to be able to, to, to look at these things and then manipulate or augment whatever people want to use as their term that makes them feel like they can go to bed at night. You know, it's like everybody's sensitive about terms now um, so that they can better connect with them. And so what have you found like in the early stages in terms of what do you believe the effects of social media have been on strength and conditioning or just coaching in general um, or sports culture in general? Have you had any kind of, you know, just early discussions about this? Have you, you know, even what databases did you dive into to look at the research here? Was it more on the marketing side? Yeah, so that, that's where I started looking on the social media side. There, there's very little, even fitness industry, um, let alone strength and conditioning, there's, there's not that much. So mm -hmm. looking at the psychology and then also the, the marketing side and how it's been used. But it's quite interesting. Um, we've been so lucky, had a really strong group of people who have done the survey, which is awesome. We've had about 60 people in three days, which I wasn't expecting awesome and already got some really cool stats um that we'll obviously waiting for everyone we've got about three weeks to do it and then we'll find out everything but at the moment we've even we've got 80 86 percent of strength and conditioning coaches use social media um insta and twitter seem to be the big ones at the moment about 40 and 43 percent um We've got about 70% of strength and conditioning coaches have that in their bio and at least one of their social media feeds. 80% uh, of strength and conditioning coaches that we're, we're studying are using it to connect with other strength and conditioning coaches. Um, and one of the really interesting ones I thought, um, I thought it would be quite a polarizing question, was at the moment, we've got 38% believe that debating other strength and conditioning coaches is okay. Yeah, people, repeat, repeat that stat real quick. Sorry, 38% at the moment believe that debating other strength and conditioning coaches on social media is okay. <laughs> that just, that always cracks me up because, you know, for me, it's like social media can be so devoid of context, and, no. but it's, it's so true to our field uh, in that, people are so desperate oftentimes and that here, you know, here's a reward center of the brain again and, and just kind of true social media schadenfreude on full blast. 
I will prove this person is wrong in 140 characters or 280 now. It's like, dude, like, <laughs> you know, you know, there's better use of your time than this. And it's funny to me because we're one of the only fields that sits here and prides ourselves on diving deep into research and things like that. But then we'll totally react to one picture, you know, that's, yeah. that's completely out of context, but yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. I just, I think that's something that's always interesting and it just goes into the point like a debate is always going to draw a bigger lecture or a bigger crowd than a lecture, right? Like oh, it's all totally. people love the contentious. They love the polemic. Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to say I've been immune. I know I, I uh, asked another strength and conditioning coach a question about one of the videos he put up to get a little bit more context. And a friend of his totally went at me um, that the video wasn't perfect and I reacted and, and we're not immune to it. And to think we are is just, it's never going to happen. But some of us, mostly me, need to think sometimes, is it going to be beneficial debating or are they, are they just going to accept because you decide to reply back. So it's in uh, yeah, my experience, <laughs> best not to argue. Absolutely yeah, yeah, just, does yeah. not help. In yeah, right, way. because people, yeah, they're gonna feel the, it, it's a territorial, and what's the, here's the thing, like what's the outcome of it? You know what I mean? Oh, if, if there's exactly. somebody, even if there's somebody that did something totally irresponsible, what is being a thumb thug? Like does it, does that, is that, are you gonna change their mind? Is this person gonna be convinced <laughs> by some stranger, you know? And um, I mean, I, I, what'd you say? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's just kind of like, all right, cool. That's interesting, whatever. That, but that, that kind of ties in with another question I want to ask you, because there's a whole, there's a science to the creation of good content as well, right? So yeah. post, all posts aren't created equal, just like all exercises aren't created equal on a program, just like everything else. So when you think of content, because content really is the currency of this kind of digital world, it's, it's what grabs our attention. It's what keeps us uh, clicking. It's, it's interesting because Instagram feeds in particular and Facebook were really designed in a way that, and I'm sure you've come across this in the research, they were designed to almost mimic the, uh, you know, slot machines. You know, yeah. this, this kind of idea is just like, it's attention engineers. But <laughs> when you're creating good content, when you think of good content, what are, what are tips for coaches that are hoping to kind of upskill that? Because they get a lot of mixed messages. They're all, oh, should I put pictures of exercises up? Should I put, you know, like you mentioned, infographics later. How can they better learn to understand their audience, the language that that particular audience speaks, and then really create a content creation plan so that they're not just kind of winging it, right? Because I would imagine that plays a role is having a plan just kind of like you would for periodization and program design. Definitely. Um, I think if you're trying to do one, a social media that is for your brand or, or specific, it's different if you're just having a personal one and you're just happy to put up whatever you want. If you're actually trying to get the best out of it, you want a plan and, and a bit of a vision with what you're doing. So haphazard photos, videos, different stuff all the time is probably not going to connect with the people you want. You want to have a specific audience. So I know for one of, unfortunately, I, I do a couple of Instagrams. I help run a few, but the one, the main one I'm running at the moment is our work Instagram. And it's basically a snapshot of what our athletes do in the gym. It's nothing more, nothing less. We post videos or photos and give 
hopefully most of the time, a bit of context about why we're doing something or who the athlete is and show different exercises, drills, that people can look at and see if they're interesting or see if they can potentially use that in their own training. So we get a lot of athletes following us to use that as ideas um, as well as coaches, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and do you think there's value? This was a this was a debate that somebody brought up the other day. You know, sometimes people get all up in arms if if an athlete is being, you know, is shown on a video and it's not perfect form, it's not perfect technique. You know, I, I would argue, and I understand both sides of it, right? Like, there's a lot of people that can take it and run with it, and but I would argue that there's actually value in that because it shows how things really are. Like, I don't know a coach out there that has an athlete that every time they deal with them. It's just amazing. It's, it's the most amazing technique every single <laughs> time they've learned it. And when you think of coaching, you think of this you know, unpredictable, it's, it's not a knowable sequence of events where you're, all, you're always going to be able to orchestrate everything perfectly all the time. That's why you have to have problem solving in what you do. And so do you think there's even value in, in showing the process as people continue to improve, even if somebody's not perfect? Or do you think all this stuff needs to be really, really uh, carefully manicured? No, definitely. I've put up multiple times of athletes not doing things perfect, but you can see what they're doing. I think when people post something that you have, that it's so poor, you don't actually know what they're doing unless you write an explanation maybe and explain where they're at and maybe show later their progress. But yeah, most of the videos that we put up, even though our athletes are tend to be spectacular, the, the, videos are not perfect. A lot of the time it's their first time doing the drill and they're just giving it a shot and that's fine. It's absolutely great to show because it's real. Um, there's a, I can't remember which book it's from, but basically if you show perfect form, people are less likely to be able to emulate that. They want someone who they can see as similar level demonstrating it shows it's been shown to have better outcomes with the person using that um, than trying to demonstrate themselves. Right. Which kind of goes back to speaking the language of your audience, you know, just being relatable and, and uh, not trying to act like it's, it's funny. I, I was in Portugal speaking and we were walking in the courtyard and we saw a woman literally uh, putting on four or five different, shirts or you know coats or whatever and it made it look and then she was snapping different backgrounds and you know her friend was like what are you doing <laughs> she's like well i've got to store this up to make it look like i was all these places you know and what have you and um th there's strategies of all kinds that people use but i i think that as long if you're in an education if you're in an education industry you've got to show the reality of it you know you've just yeah. got to be able to show hey this is what i deal with this is kind of the issue I remember one time we showed Jadavion Clowney, he was doing a lateral hop, one foot takeoff, same foot landing. And it was his first day really kind of locking this in. We were doing non-counter movement, uh, counter movement, double contact. Then he looked like a baby giraffe. And I just remember yeah. people being like, oh, why'd you get that guy doing that? I'm like, because there's people in the world that need to know that NFL athletes, even some of the most superb athletic specimens, you know, he's, he's had injuries for sure, but he's still an athletic specimen, you know, struggle with these things because for every... I found for every one percenter slash guru, you know, that gets up in arms, you've also inspired about 75 other coaches or young athletes that feel like, wow, I, you know what? 
especially the young athletes, I don't suck just because I can't do this. Pros, pro, and I think that was a big learning of mine just to share with the audience real quick is, you know, when I started off on social media, I thought that I had to impress kind of the big shots in the field. You know, I just, not, not because I wanted their approval. I just kind of wanted to show that, hey, I'm a guy that respects the craft. I want to carry the torch. Like I'm trying to put out good stuff. And so I thought this stuff just had to almost kind of be mind blowing. And uh, then I just, you know, o- over time, I started getting notes from the people that I was really affecting, you know, people that were like, hey, I, I really like your post today. And I started noticing it was sometimes just the simplest posts, something I was struggling with or a random thought that I had or something I wish I would have known sooner. And that's where I really learned who your audience is. You know, your yeah. audience isn't these, these one percenters that everybody tries to impress or feels like they need to strive to become. Your audience is really the 90 plus percent of people that maybe even haven't They've, they've never been to this conference or they've never heard this way of thinking. And, and the most banal stuff that you think doesn't matter is actually what they clamor for. And you know what? You have to respect that because not everybody has access to the same resources and what you think is boring. You know, this may be their first exposure to it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I always find it interesting. I'll put up an exercise like, oh, everyone knows this exercise. It's pretty boring. And heaps and heaps of people will like it and feel it's the newest exercise they've never seen it before so just because you think it's benign and you've done it for ages doesn't mean everyone has seen it before there's always value for sure Uh, in your opinion are are certain platforms now more valuable than others yes um so i listened to a great speech on connecting with athletes on social media uh by a AFL coach and interestingly which still baffles me kids young kids so still high school age coming through they don't have Facebook anymore they don't use it it's they may use messenger but rarely it's they don't even have phone numbers in their phone anymore a lot of them are using snapchat and calling off snapchat still baffles me I didn't actually know you could do that um I, the only reason I knew that is because somebody accidentally called when it, first, when it first came out, I was like, I'm not using this thing ever. And then eventually I kind of adopted it. I don't use it anymore at all, but I, I think uh, somebody pocket called me and I'm like, what is this crazy ass ring to like, cause it was ringing like a, a very different. And I'm like, yeah. what is that? Wait, somebody turn off their phone and they're like, dude, that's you. And I'm sitting here like, and, and it was a coach friend of mine. That's like, Oh my God, I had no idea. This was a thing. Yeah. So it's interesting for sure. Oh. Totally. That, that's how I learned messenger you can call off. But right. I'd say at least in the strength and conditioning field still, Twitter and Instagram are the big ones. Um, in terms of athletes, Instagram is still relevant for most of the young kids from what I've seen. Um, but even then, I think in the next couple of years, that could end up being pushed to the side with something new coming through as well. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, you know... <sighs> I went through that evolution of oh, I'll never do Twitter or whatever. And then I adopt Twitter and then I was, I'll never do Instagram. But I got to say, like, I just don't see the value. And this is me personally. And, and like, I don't, I, I still have my Twitter. I don't see much value in it anymore. You know, to me, it's, I get it. Like people will share articles on it. Although half of them never share the full text. You know, you've got to go to, you've got to go to research gate or you've got to have, and I have, you know, basic membership NSCA and what yeah. have you, but there's still a lot of articles you can't get access to. And, uh, yeah. But it just seems like Twitter is such an echo chamber sometimes. You know, I find Twitter valuable for following people other than strength and conditioning coaches. Um, yeah. For me, and this is just for me, 
Instagram, which was the thing I was the latest adopter to, I think is, is a true coaching platform because there's a lot of people that get away with saying a lot of pretty grandiose esoteric stuff on Twitter. And it's easy to do when they don't show anything. Right. And I kind of found like there were some guys that, you know, in the team setting and, and it, they're in the private sector too, like the, the gurus. Cause there's, there's, there's kind of drastic examples of both, right? There's, there's people in the team setting, just normal everyday folks. And then there's these people in these foxholes and these yeah. foxhole people, like, you know, they'll create these accounts and they never post anything, but they just sit there and they intake. It's like they're harvesting information and then they yeah. criticize it. And then there's, you know, the same people on in the private sector, there's normal private sector strength coaches just do their damn thing. And then there's these people that are like, no, I'm the guru. Um, but for me, the, the value in Instagram has been like, you can't just talk the talk. You kind of got to show what you do, you know, for, and, and it's kind of a time capsule. It's funny. I had one guy reach out and say, Oh, like, you know, you say that you train these guys and I don't believe it. I'm like, dude, like the nice thing is you can scroll back to like 2012 and see the people that I've trained and that I posted and this and that. And he was like, Oh, you know, and I'm just like, dude, like, what do you, you know, what's the goal here? Or on Twitter, somebody. What are you trying to achieve from that? Right. I'd put some out on Twitter about plyometrics and what have you. And the guy goes, you know, you know, big talk. Why don't you show what you do? And I'm like, all right, man, like here's my Instagram thing. Like here's the actual post. Um, and I think, you know, Instagram's got what, like 900 million people, I think on it, on it now. So there's this kind yes. of this point of like, if you can't beat them, join them. Like, cause you can them. probably get some things off both these, but for you, how do you, how do you use these platforms? Cause we, we should use them differently, right? We shouldn't just use Instagram, how we use Twitter, how we use Facebook and all this. They should be used differently. Yep. Tell so, me about that. Like how, how do you, how do you, how do you treat them differently? Um, Twitter for me, I, I'm similar. I don't use Twitter as much anymore. My main use of Twitter tends to be in conferences. I take away my keynotes and put them in a tweet. And that's a way for me to keep notes that I've got in case I lose the piece of paper I'm writing on. So it's, it's also a way I've, I've found to share with my friends in the industry who may not be able to make it, who live interstate or out of the country. So that's something I like Twitter for. Um, Facebook, I tend to use mostly for my own friends, um, more personal. And then Messenger, I, a lot of my athletes like being connected via Messenger rather than necessarily text or email. So I'll use Messenger for that. And then Instagram, I use the most. I like being able to share videos of what we've done, um, show different exercises, find different ideas, both of exercises and of opinions and different ways of thinking on, on Instagram. It's, you can write a little bit more, can see a little bit more of what the athletes and the different coaches, not just in strength and conditioning. I have a lot of, I work in track and field. So I look at a lot of track and field coaches and teams and, and see how they do different drills because really one of the basics of movement and they've been doing it so long. It's nice to see different opinions and different ways of doing things. And Nick, if, if people want to stay up with the research that you're doing on social media, you know, you mentioned a presentation, uh, yep. you mentioned the questionnaire or the results of, of the research that you hope to have out in, in a relatively 
short time, like how can, how can people get involved? How will they be able to see this information? What's the best way? So at the moment, um, the link is on my Twitter. Um, and I've also, it's been emailed out through the Australian Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, it's one of our criteria was our ACA level two or above. So that doesn't mean people from overseas can't be involved. It just was one of our criteria because it's being an ACA based study. Um, so hopefully we can turn this around um, as soon as possible uh, and get this research out. It's going to end up, well, we're hoping, I shouldn't jump the gun, we're hoping to put it out in the Australian Strength and Conditioning Journal um, as soon as we can get it accepted. And um, yeah, from there, we'll go into the next study on athletes. But at the moment, it's being shared on, on all my social media to try and see who's interested and, and who wants to be involved and people who aren't necessarily part of the inclusion criteria. I've had a few coaches outside of strength and conditioning ask if I could disseminate the results. Um, so as soon as it all gets done, I'd happily put it out to anyone who, who is interested. I think it's really cool that people want to know. Basically. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, this is something you've got to make open source too. Oh, you know? absolutely. And uh, I, I think that's, I, in my opinion, that's kind of where social media is going to attack next. I think education. Yeah, I mean, you've already seen it with ResearchGate and things like that. But I think that education, academia, all these things better really, really, really prepare for even another evolution of that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm well aware people can access full text PDFs and there's, you know, pirated or whatever copies or what have you. But I think if I'm an academic, this is something I'm really looking at. I'm doubling down on a social network of sharing this stuff because, again, how do you – it's funny. Even even people like Malcolm Gladwell deal with people that say, oh, you're a popularizer. And it's like, you know, don't, don't say that people that know your audience or know how to reach your audience better than you do are popularizers. You just got to meet people where you're at. That's the reality. Um, here's something I was definitely interested in before we wrap up, though, is yep. – in. In America, and I don't want to seem too—I don't want to seem ridiculous here. I'm just—I don't want to assume that this is a common phrase universally, despite the fact I feel like I've been to Australia like 20 times. <laughs> what What are other examples of like these sacred cows or these traditions that you know people in our field are often way too focused on that that lead them to becoming more confused or shocked or even a little bit closed-minded with their careers? Does sacred cows make sense? Does that translate? Yeah. Cool. Uh, I yeah. get I get what you're coming at. I know what yeah, you mean. Yeah, just like what what are some things? And and you gave it you gave perfect examples here, right? Like women in sport. You talked about uh, social media. What is something else that you just think needs to go away in our field uh, because it's really clouding the way people think about advancing their their train of thought or the way they approach a problem in their career? I think the two main ones that come to my mind would be more doesn't equal better. We're we're an industry that kind of feels like we need to be 24 seven. It's, it's embedded in our culture at the moment that we have to be on all the time. We have to be available to our athletes all the time. We have to work for no money. We have to work long hours and we just have to absolutely every part of our being has to be a strength and conditioning coach. And it just doesn't make us better coaches. I've been there. I'm the first to admit I want to go too far. Um, and I've been really lucky over the last four years of having a boss who really pushes the fact that you need some balance, you need some time away, you need 
not to be spending your entire life doing this one thing because it, it's like we tell our athletes, you can't just have sport as your only identity because if that goes away, what have you got? Who are you going to look to? Um, you need a bit of balance, not balance in you have to have 50-50, but some time away, some time just for you, sleeping. I mean, we, we state to our athletes all the time, you have to have eight hours sleep, but I know so many strength and conditioning coaches are proud of the fact they have four or five and really what, what's our brain doing if we're getting four or five? It's definitely not being at its best. So then we're not giving our athletes the best, which is what we're there for. Um, yeah, and the, the other one I'd go for is there are many ways to skin a cat. We, we all stick to oh, no, but this is our way, this is the way we've done it, or I know you've stated before, we, and, and nearly everyone has, we don't need to be fighting over front squat, back squat. There are a million different ways of doing it. It's all context-related, who you've got in front of you, how they are on the day, what they've got going on, what part of the schedule they're in. All of that basically factors into how you make that decision. It's not going to be the same for anyone else. Yeah, I think that's an important one. I mean, you have to you have to move and you have to act with a pulse of purpose rather than just kind of reacting all the time. Easier said than done, though. And uh, I couldn't <laughs> agree more on those things. And it's something that I think I mentioned to you out there and anybody listening. If you if you guys want to dive into some more of this, not just on on Nick's end, because I'm going to have all the information um, to, to the research to our social media, everything in the show notes. But even from the art of coaching side, you know, a sample of, of a course and an event that I hosted here in Atlanta that talks about social media, that talks about, uh, you know, all the things that you kind of struggle with, even burnout and, and mental health issues in coaching. And, and coaching is a term that I look at it as a leadership. You know, that's how I define coaching. Anytime you're conveying information, anytime you're trying to interact with others, anytime you're trying to lead and guide, you're a coach. So that goes no matter what field you're in. But um, if you want more information on that, go to artofcoaching.com for sure. And then check out the show notes. Well, Nick, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know that it, it can be tough, especially with the time zone difference. I think you're 19 <laughs> hours ahead of me. Um, I think but you're this, the one suffering more on that end. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. And I think that this is a, t it's really refreshing to talk to somebody that doesn't just have an opinion on social media, but is doing the research on it. So I, I personally really look forward to following you continuously on this. I'd urge any of you listening to make sure that you follow Nick. Um, and again, uh, I'll make sure that the information when she puts it out um, is in my newsletter. So if you guys are not on my newsletter, make sure to go to artofcoaching.com, sign up on the newsletter. The moment Nick puts this stuff out, I will get it out to all of you. Nick, is there anything else you want to add? No, that's great. I, I'm truly honored to be here. I love your podcast. And I love the work you do in the industry and looking at things not just from the hard skills, the, the soft skills. I know you hate the term, but really, it's really important in our industry and I want to thank you for all you do. No, I appreciate it. You're a part of it. Thanks for being a, a, <laughs> an early adopter and a believer and not one of the people that threw stones at me early on. And I'd love to have you back on again, especially once you know, you've, you've continued to dive more deeply into this. I think we got to do another part too, because you're right. Social media and all these things are going to only continue to evolve and and you're our go-to person for this now. All right, well, thank you again. And everybody else, be sure to check out the show notes. This is not stuff you want to miss. And please tell a friend or five or 10 about the podcast. Nick, have a good rest of the day. You too, Brett. Thanks.